Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Startup Soiree Podcast. This is your host, Patrick Reif, bringing it to you from Pixelated HQ. We are tucked up inside of our conference room, uh, aka the old Gundalo Juice and Nutritious offices. Uh, just ran into someone this morning in my son's daycare who is a podcast listener. Um, what's up, Hannah? Nice to meet you. And also had been to Dana's office for a meeting once before, but didn't realize that she was ultimately in Pixelated. So I thought that was a cool experience. Um, I'm excited to have some new guests on the show today. We're going to be talking uh, with the people behind Impact Hub over on North Avenue. A lot of you out there will be familiar with Impact Hub because we threw last month's startup story there where we had Jamie McDonald talking about jobs, 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 um, and how we ideally start to create intentional jobs that match what our city needs. Um, but without further ado, Michelle, Press, Jermaine, welcome to the Startup Story Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having us. <clears throat> so the way we kick it off typically is we'd love to hear a little bit about each of you, and then um, somebody needs to give me a little bit of info about what Impact Hub is. So you start. Sure. Um, <laughs> my name is Michelle Geis. Um, I've been in Baltimore five years, so I'm just a baby on the scene um, and have been involved in developing Impact Hub for the last three years or so. Um, we started with programming uh, to connect people that are social entrepreneurs or um, just generally care about the city and felt like space um, was going to be an important next step so that people could self-organize um, and also like um, have a, you know, a space to do their own thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's sort of a little, a little bit about uh, how we started. Awesome. Came from. How about you, Press? Yeah, so my name is Press Adams. I'm co-founder of uh, Impact Hub Baltimore. Um, I got involved with this work back in 2012. Um, I think I moved to Baltimore in 2009, so I'm a little bit of a newbie as well. Um, but it, back in 2012, um, myself and eventually Michelle, um, uh, worked to do a lot of events around the city that eventually led to the, the founding of Impact Hub. And, and that really started with, with us engaging a, a large number of people working all over the city that, were, that had great ideas but didn't necessarily have the resources they needed, um, and they weren't necessarily connected to each other. So um, ultimately we decided that a physical space um, would be a great place to bring people together, um, uh, bring some of those resources together as well, and, and hopefully get more visibility for folks at the same time. Awesome. We should shout out Rodney Foxworth here too, who has been <laughs> essential to all that co-founding um, and started yeah. the Associate Breakfast with Press way back in 2012. Awesome. Yeah, he's the person I've gotten to actually speak to least of all out of out of all of you so far. But I, I ran into him somewhere in the last few weeks, and we got a chance to talk with each other, uh, and it was nice to finally like catch up and really like put. I don't think I'd even met him before I ran into him a few weeks ago. So put a face with a name. How about you? Yeah, so my name is Jermaine Bell, born and raised in Baltimore. Woo -woo. Um, so I came to Impact Hub uh, on a fellowship with Baltimore Corps, Fagan Harris's Baltimore Corps. Um, this is after I left an advertising agency, um, being a traffic manager. Um, look that up if you don't know what that is. Um, and slash designer. Um, so my job was very, very detailed, very, very laborious. Um, and I began freelancing last year. And I mean, if you've ever freelanced, you know, it's like living from 
client to client when you get a check. So um, when I realized I could like use the advertising skills and the marketing skills that I had, you know, gained at MICA and at the advertising agency, um, I wanted to do it for like something in the community because um, I had been doing a lot of grassroots work and Impact Hub was one of the first interviews that I did and we moved on from there. And it worked out. So how long has the, the space been open officially? We moved in in December and started really doing events full tilt in January. Great. Awesome. So most of the half year mark, huh? Almost. Pushing up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I think I'd first like to understand a little bit is I know that um, the Impact Hub has hubs in other cities, right? So what what does that look like? Like what other cities are they in? Like I think there's, is there one in Washington, D.C. now? Mm-hmm. Is that new? Pretty new. Is it yeah. newer than you? No. No. They're about a year and maybe two years old. Maybe two years, yeah. Gotcha. Because I think that when you first came out and talked to us and I went and looked, I didn't feel like I it was on my radar, but it must have been so at that point. So maybe what what's a little bit about kind of the the the, the broader impact hub footprint and mission right. statement and then also like how did you guys get involved with with that? Uh, so I'll, I'll, I always start by saying every Impact Hub is independently owned and operated. Okay. So um, Impact Hub Baltimore was founded locally, and then we got a license to join an international network. Uh, so in terms of the international network, there's there's about 70 spaces around the world now. Wow. Um, it got started back in 2005 in London, um, and, and quickly jumped from there, I think, to Amsterdam, and then Sao Paulo, Brazil, and has just been growing ever since. Uh, so that's that's the bigger network, um, but every yeah every impact hub is locally founded. Um, there's all sorts of different business models. For instance, we're we're set we're going to be set up as a, a nonprofit uh, for profit hybrid, um, but other impact hubs are in some cases strictly for profit. Some very rarely are they non non profits. There's the occasional co op here or there too, um, but that that kind of gives you a sense of of what that network is all about. Do you have anything to add about that, Michelle? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just each one is also, they're fa- because they're founded independently, mm-hmm. kind of has a different vision, purpose, and a lot of them are really responsive to the context of the city that they're operating in. So um, the issues going on in Stockholm, Sweden, are really totally different than the ones going on in Oakland, California. Um, and so there's... Uh, it's a really diverse network in terms of the cities they're in and what they're working on, what they're focused on, how they define impact. Um, for us, we think a lot about um, you know Baltimore's disparities, the health and wealth gaps that exist in the city, and it was a lot about why we started the programming in the first place and um, you know what we're aiming to be shifting um, in our work and that kind of how we define impact overall. And um, other impact types in the network that sort of share that are Oakland, um, Birmingham in the UK, um, and you know a handful of other of other folks. Columbia, Bogota, Columbia is also thinking a lot about that. Um, so we've got a, a bigger network to draw from in terms of thinking through those mission goals. Gotcha. So in terms of the, so how do those, how do you guys, how does Impact Hub Baltimore embody and and work towards? Um, like like transacting along along those lines. So, the the basis for the way that it's set up is it's it's a co working space, ostensibly, right? And the idea is that the people that you're 
attracting to fill those desks are working on projects that align? Am I understanding it right? Yeah, it certainly makes sense. So we we kind of think of Impact Hub Baltimore as like a microcosm of of what's going on in the city. And um, from the beginning, recognize how many incredible visionary people there are in this town that are working really hard to um, affect whatever change they think needs to happen. And... um, but not necessarily in a way that is like visible or um, getting the resources that they needed to make it all kind of go forward. And so the idea of the space was um, to build more visibility for all of that hard work and all those incredible people and ideas. And then in addition to that, trying to be attracting more resources in that direction. So um, that groups like, you know, Baltimore Forum and, um, uh, you know, Jess Gardner's Aloe View or Sarah um, Heminger's Thread. These are some of the sort of really successful social entrepreneurs in Baltimore that we admire. Um, uh, so, that, you know, groups like that are, are more easily able to grow and find what they need and find partners, find collaborators, find, you know, grants um, because they're more visible by being in the space and, and more connected to each other. Yeah, I think we, we even... Uh, in the beginning stages, we looked at opening a locally branded space even, but ultimately we decided the, the um, international brand would be really helpful in terms of, of getting some of that outside exposure for the city, right. um, uh, both for our participants, but also um, and for uh, us to be able to potentially attract resources to the city right. as well. And we, we thought that that was a, an It's like global brand. relevancy. Right, right, and and we really talked a lot about putting Baltimore on the map, uh, not you know regionally, but also nationally and globally too, and, and how important that can be for for helping locally based initiatives um, get off the ground and scale and and do things that that are have a you know a bigger impact or um, or frankly just matter a little bit more, <laughs> and and uh, but that can also drive job creation and, and other um, things as well. Yeah. I guess the only thing I would add is that that was the idea from the outset. And then when we got open, had more space available and had more um, bandwidth to do events. So events has been a really big part of like how we're doing that too. And I'll let Jermaine expand on that, but sort of, um, there's also conversations that happen in the space and ideas that are happening in the space that um, also hopefully are starting to shift in people's awareness about what a, dip, what a better Baltimore would look like. Um, and get you know get to know each other that way. If you have something to add. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I wanted to do coming into the space was make it comfortable for Black Baltimoreans. Um, a lot of times, uh, when you go into these spaces, um, it's isolating as a Black person. So uh, the first thing I did was tap into my social network, if you will, and I asked D. Watkins to be our inaugural um, Rise resident. Um, and with that, we based. Uh, some programming with him and did some things around the work that he does um, and we met amazing people like uh, the writer Tarp Torre, um, Bill Fina Yawan and uh, Upile Chasala of uh, Yanja series. Um, we have uh, Devin Allen's work on the wall right now while well, his kids work um, that he did with Erica Alston um, at Kids Safe Zone so uh, Making sure that, you know, this is a place that feels uh, good for everyone and making sure it's not just uh, moving into that territory that um, a lot of spaces in Baltimore actually um, do without really realizing that they're doing it. 
Um, so it's intentional, um, very intentional. So I'm, I, you know, we face similar challenges with Startup Story, right? Mm -hmm. So like a big part of the goal with what we're trying to do is we want it to be representative of the demographic of our city, right? So last year we we did an okay job in the context of networking events, mm -hmm. of having it be like somewhat diverse. But if you were to look at the fundamental like lay of the land and like what the demographic looks like of businesses that are owned inside of the city, like we weren't even remotely close to representational. And part of that is why we travel this year. Because when we came in from out here, closer into the city, we got a bunch of new people that were like, this was easier to get to, and that's why we could come this month. So that was like the one aha thing. So a portion of the traveling is about that, is about getting out into neighborhoods and, and taking our events there so that way we make ourselves as accessible as possible to the businesses that are inside of the different neighborhoods inside of our city, right? Like we want to go to them. We want to make it easy for them to come in because, you know, recognizing that you can say all day long something is for everyone, but if you're throwing it at City Garage, like not everyone is going to read that still as it being for everyone. Yeah. Or recognizing that, uh, so like the whole first year you had to give us your credentials to get invited to Startup Soiree. Mm -hmm. And that was about keeping shitty salespeople out of the room. It wasn't about anything else. It was about us not wanting like the card flingers to come in that really like screw up like a great conversation, right? Like right. that happened to you and I when we were talking after that creative mornings. We were off to the side <laughs> talking and people kept coming over and doing that to us, right? Do you yeah. remember? And I think I literally said to you, those cards go in my left back pocket because the people that don't take the time to talk to me, right? And we, like, that's, like, where we met each other yeah. and we had a connection. Like, I remember everything about our conversation from that that's day. Uh, like, very, very, very clearly. And I remember that happening there. And that was a big reason why we built Soiree. It was we thought that, that sucked. So we put that gate there to prevent that. But that gate gets interpreted much differently when you're talking about different different communities, different education levels, different comfortability levels when it's like online, putting your info, like all of that stuff. And that was another thing that we needed to challenge this year when we started over was like, okay, what is the egress in to attend, right? What does the landing page look like? Does it look like something that feels like inviting to all kinds of people? Or does it look like something where like the language says it's for everyone, but it looks like it's for people that like you know, like, n no shade, but, like, run the harbor every morning. Or, like, people that are, like, tied into, like, like chia seeds in my, like, yogurt bowl with, like, you know, like, and I take a picture before I eat. You know, like, that's, there's, there's like, one side of Baltimore, right, that a lot of the marketing in our city, that a lot of the progressive marketing is driven towards. And it's very easy to be, like, we designed something that's beautiful, right? It looks good and it's clean and it's got, like, cool functionality. But... In those decisions that you're going for like design excellence you're also supporting and you're like you're like making things happen that you don't even realize are happening and we try and be very diligent to assess what our look and feel is so that way when we get people from the whole dynamic of Baltimore hitting our site that there's something that resounds in them when they hit the page that says like I'm gonna do, like I'm gonna do this. Like I'm gonna go to this thing, and 
So it's great to hear you kind of talk about that because it's a huge it's a huge portion, right? Well, yeah, because I mean, visibility, like you know, we know that Dee Watkins is great. We know that Devin Allen is great, but. Um, I think people are getting to know that Tarek Torre is great. I think people are getting to know that Shannon Wallace is great. Um, because I don't think these opportunities could have happened last year. I think a huge part of it is last year and like the visibility and transparency. Like a lot of people like up their game because they realized like businesses were burning because they had no affiliation to the people that were walking these streets every day. Um, the opportunities weren't afforded to these people walking the streets, and I'm going to include me in that same conversation. Um, so, and that's why I went to this fellowship. You know, I've knocked on doors in Baltimore, and I've gotten cold shoulders from some of the people who walk into the space this very day. Um, so, it's one of those things where it's like talking about it and being about it are two very different things. Um, I'm trying to, with the work that I do at Impact Hub to make it very much be about it. Um, if you have a new business, um, like Chef Heather Smith, who, you know, uh, is literally like making amazing food, but doesn't have a storefront, um, you know, come to Impact Hub and let's see what we can do together. Um, you know, uh, we started around the same time as Cole and Aisha and we had them out to the first, uh, so some breakfast that I organized, um, with some art activists, Jamie McDonald and Michelle Gomez and... Mia, uh, Mia Loving, um, because, you know, I wanted it to very much be about, like, anyone can come into this space, anyone who has a great idea can have a voice, um, anyone who has a business can have capital, because we live in a capitalist society, so everyone should have access to the money that is out there, and I know exactly what you're speaking about, I call them, like, these tween, newfangled businesses, like, Everything is in the lobster font and like everything, you know, um, is filigreed and there's all these dudes with mustaches and like <laughs> stay at home dads and all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, I'm not knocking that. I'm the guy who takes pictures of my food before I eat it. Like, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I understand the privilege that I have and I understand um, the position that I'm in and how I can open that up to other people. And that's essentially what I feel my larger role is in the space is opening it up to people who don't have a voice necessarily anywhere else in Baltimore because they're denied that everywhere else in Baltimore. Yeah, That's Patrick, great. I can just to touch on something you said earlier. I, I can uh, definitely identify like geography in Baltimore is is really important. Um, going back to before Impact Hub was open, we were doing uh, events around the city and. And it was important to move those events around the city to engage people. Um, and there's even a way that you can do that more effectively if you kind of go and um, identify work, people working, say, in southwest Baltimore, um, talk to them, make sure that they're interested in you know, growing what they're doing and getting some exposure. Um, and then you kind of create an event around that. Um, and by doing that, you're kind of highlighting the work of somebody in their community. Totally. You're pulling people um, that have been coming to our events in the past uh, to, to see what's going on there, probably learn something as a result. Um, and then you're also uh, engaging people in that community as well. And totally. you gotta be really thoughtful about how you do that and be um, respectful as well. Um, but that, that's something we realized early on. And then another part of geography that I'll touch on with Impact Hub is we, we ultimately chose to be located um, where we are on North Avenue, so the intersection of North and Charles. 
in Station North, and and part of the reason we chose to be there was um, that it is, I mean, it's the geographic center of the city. Um, there's opportunities to engage with a broad cross section of the city too, um, and we think it's important to kind of play with different communities, make them bump into each other in ways they maybe haven't in the past. And um, we think that by doing that, we, might, we don't know exactly what will come out of that, but we're, we're interested in creating the conditions for that to happen, and we, we have some faith that, that there will be positive outcomes from those types of interactions. Yeah, I mean, and that's like, the, you, like you guys are at the, like, the apex of like the two corridors in the city and where they meet. You know, to, to speak to what you said about like going to neighborhoods and, and going there with real intentionality, that's one of the things that, like, so I've made that the primary centerpiece of Soiree for this year because, like, you know, like we know how to throw a good party, right? Like, I know how to throw a good party at this point. And we've been lucky to pick up, like, a crazy user base that really likes what we're doing. And, like, the first year was definitely like, oh shit like start giving away tickets like ASAP because like we need people we need like butts and seats and like that's hard to do mm -hmm. and by the end of last year when we did like the city garage thing it scaled really crazy and then when we did the toy giveaway it really like hammered home that we were actually trying to really harness people's engagement to do stuff and it wasn't it wasn't like really about us so much as we were just trying to help be operators to like accomplish something like all oh, y'all want to do something good great we'll organize it all and we'll say like what that thing is going to be but you make sure that you support us um so this year my goal became totally about just wanting to get it out into baltimore more and wanting to go to like to places that no one goes to i mean at the end of the day impact is going to be one of the more um probably like not, I, don't, I don't want to call it normal, but like probably one of the more known spaces that we're going to end up going to this year just because we're trying to like push out and do stuff. Like I didn't want to go to like, I didn't want to go to Betamore. You know what I mean? Not that like I love Jen, I love Greg, I love all those people there, but like I didn't want to throw a party there because they've got a huge user base and they throw stuff there all the time and like people are aware of that space, right? But like no one knew about art social club, including me. Like I saw that happen from Instagram one night that I didn't go out like 10 months before. And I was like, this place is amazing. Like, where is it? What is this place? And then I started like learning more about the history behind it. And it's just like, and then I started, and I met, uh, then I met Van who is, do you know Van Anderson? Who is like the person who's responsible for it? Him and his buddy, uh, Tashambe. I know like, Tashambe, yeah. Those two guys <laughs> were kids there. Yeah. And they've ended up like being the like ambassadors for it. And they started telling us all the stories about it and like the eight, and they're like, you know, it's the, the, the second oldest historically black owned nightclub in the United States only only younger than the Apollo Theater. And then, like, the list of people that have stood on that stage is, like, earth-shaking. I mean, like, everyone great that you can imagine in the last, like, 80, 90 years of popular music. Well, not the last 20 years, but, like, you know, from 1985, I think, was the last time they had, like, someone like the Commodores come through or something. But, like, big stuff that has this amazing history. And it's, to me, like the kind of stuff that we should really be proud of in Baltimore. Like those are the stories that don't get told about our heritage. Like it's like the fact that people come to Baltimore and they don't understand that the analog to Central Park 
is here. Like same yeah. builder, the same cool, crazy, beautiful, <clears throat> wonderful like stuff to like find in it and travel to different parts. But we don't like yeah we don't celebrate that. The Apollo is also based on um, I believe this uh, the one that's on Howard. I can't think of the name of it. Someone out there, Google that. Um, <laughs> but I mean. That's that's part of the that's part of the frustration in the city is that you know there are historically black amazing things here um, and we've known about them for years um, and you know these newfangled you know tweet businesses come in and like all of a sudden it's like this craze um, and that's fine um, but you can't erase the people that were there before and I think that is where I and a lot of people are really drawing the buck at this moment. Um, it's got to stop right here, right now. Um, you know, uh, there's uh, Kevin Kevin Brown on right off of North Avenue and on North Avenue with Snack and Nancy. I hear people say they don't even know that exists, and I'm like, how is that a thing? Like, he is literally inside of Micah's building, um, the Graduate Center. He's literally across the street from another really popular cafe. You know, right across the street from us, they're trying to uh, take Odell's, which was a famous, like, very popular nightclub where, like, Frank Ski and Miss Tony were having these amazing parties in the 90s, and they're trying to take that away. They placated, you know, some people of the community by giving uh, the street name to one of the famous DJs, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you literally see your culture and your history being wiped away, and you're expected to stand by and be nice, and... I don't think people are in the place anymore to be nice because, you know, gentrification isn't nice, you know. It's it's the worst. It's I mean, silently violent, you know. Yeah, it's the worst. I mean, it, yeah. it, I think a huge part of, like, the talking point for me this year has been, like, it's critical that, that, that we've, that we've, that we figure out how to, like, sustain ourselves against that wave immediately, like, right this second because... You know the I mean the arm of capital dollars when it comes to development is uncompromising, right? Like once once the lock gets opened up, the water rushes in and it's a done deal. And I think to answer your point about engaging the communities that it's happening in, and to build off of what I was trying to do, but I just talked too much. Was one of the things that we've really deliberately done as we've moved around was when we went to Arch. Like I called all the community associations in Upton and in Penn North. And I was on the phone with people that did like, they didn't want to hear like what I was talking about. And I respected that like hundred percent, but I just let them know, like, listen, this is something that we're bringing and we're going to like, we're going to do it at this place. And really what needs to happen is I need you to help me activate everyone, you know, that is already in your community that, is running a business or is, you know, creatively involved and interested in sustaining this community for what it is and really setting it right. But by you, by you guys doing it. And all we want to do is we want to come in and we want to create this conversation that we're having and ideally have an enormous chunk of the neighborhood be there. So when we did arch, it was that like the Wednesday that was right after the blizzard. So it was the worst. It was the commute day where they had stopped canceling school. It was the worst. It was the day that everybody spent like nine and a half hours like sitting in traffic. And we probably bought 160 people from our group, but we brought like 87 people from Upton and from Penn North and from Reservoir Hill. And that felt like amazing. And the, and 
Miss, Miss Annie Hall from the Penn North Association, the one that least wanted to hear what I had to say on the phone. She came and she was like, you know, like still like super skeptical coming in. And I was like, you can be like totally skeptical. You came, like that's all I asked you to do. Like you came through. And by the time she left, she saw that really what we wanted to do was just really engage and show off how amazing these things are and really say like, guys, we got to figure out how to lend our energy to the people that have like sustained these great things that are great parts of our city and help them like get the recognition, but with like not with us. Like all we're supposed to be doing is really like fomenting the opportunity for for Tashambe and for Van to get funding to like fix the fucking roof on Arch, you know what I mean? Like the like they need a new roof. If they get a new roof, they can push their like HVAC back up into the ceiling, and it won't be like hanging down in there. As soon as that happens, then the balcony that's in the back that now has like you know like ductwork coming down into it, people then there's a VIP again. Like all of a sudden, like they they start getting on the road back to booking like what you know that place should be full six nights a week right like there's no reason that it can aside from it they just don't have the, the the backup to be able to do it so we've really tried to do that we really tried to as we move we reach out and we also will keep a percentage of tickets off of the ledger so when we went to maryland dark place because it sold out so quickly we kept a fourth of the tickets from ever being listed because we knew that there was going to be a lot of businesses around lexington market that weren't going to go through like signing up on an email list. But if we went in or if we sent someone from Maryland Art Place over to say, hey, we're doing this like party and it's kind of about business owners and like it's free, we've like just reserved a VIP ticket for you. Like then we get people to come in the door that way and just trying to set up the, the opportunity for people to feel comfortable coming however they need to come and feel good about it. But I just hope going forward that it doesn't take, you know, a white organization to make these things seem important because there have been people on the ground that are that have been doing this work and are doing this work for years. And that's another piece of the frustration is that, you know, it's not her until our white counterparts come in and say the same exact thing that we've been saying for years on in like um, and that's partially um, what Rodney is doing is connecting small businesses to this capital with his own venture invested impact um, so there's tons of people doing this stuff um, people of color um, and you know if there are more organizations like this that can come together and work with the organizations that are doing these kind of things and that makes a stronger, better Baltimore in the end, right? Yeah, you know, I, I, um, it's something we're really aware of our own responsibility sitting on North Avenue to be accountable to the community and to be sort of a, a relevant asset to um, as many people as possible. And, um, you know, uh, there's been great leadership from, from Jermaine on that, from Press on that, from Rodney on that, like you know, hopefully myself, um, around and trying to make the space really accessible is I think one of the pieces that is important like we need to be able to know each other to help each other and so if there's already distortions in how resources are distributed in the city you like we need to be able to um, make sure that we don't put up too many gates that then like the people that really um, could use visibility and support and um, partnership the most like can't get in so one of the things we have um, that's been great, we have a work trade program so that people can have membership and they in exchange for um, five hours a week of working at the mm-hmm. space. And it's an incredible group of people with all these skills and talents and they bring ideas to um, 
how to make the Impact Hub more vibrant and more relevant all the time. Um, we've got 20 folks right now that are in the community, it's called the Community Leads Program. Um, it's one of the things, all the events that uh, we're throwing are open and free to the public. Um, so we like unlock the door most of the time and um, want people to be able to come in um, and encourage any, any listeners out there to be like following along with what programming is going on and, and pop in. It's, it's, we want as many people as possible to be coming through so that you know, they can make those connections that grow their ideas and put their ideas forward. Um, it's been really important from us, even from back in Shine Breakfast days, to be paying attention to diversity and making sure that um, the room you know, rep- reflects the demographics of the city. And we've done a decent job of that at Impact Hub so far. It's something we're really proud of. Um, about 40% of the membership are people of color. Um, 35% of them are black. Um, and 50, over 50% are women. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're working on all kinds of different things, from health to education to social justice, community development, economic opportunity. Um, and having that blend of perspectives and skills we think is going to make a stronger city. Um, that anybody doing it on their own is only kind of going to be able to make it so far, make a certain amount of, of impact. And um, being able to find like-minded people that kind of give you energy and cheer you on and then ideally are like, hey, this is an opportunity that's going to make your idea go farther. Um, I think it's really the idea of like building a community and a culture that, that is open and, and kind of creates that um, network of support for people. Yeah, in, in the spirit of a startup podcast, I, I should say we're very much in our fifth month and, and we have lots of great members and people that have uh, come out to our events and everything else that are um, have really uh, been supportive of the idea of, of that we're pitching and everything and, and it's happening in the space already, but I think we're also, um, you know, we're just in our fifth month. We're still building out the systems and growing and I, I think um, we like the fact that we're able to build that with such a great community and I think we'll um, in time get better at how we do all of that um, um, how we work as a team but also how we uh, you know, work with our community how we uh, work with um, you know, the neighborhood surrounding our space and then the city as a whole um, and then beyond that because like I said earlier uh, you know how do we communicate on the national and global level um, and loop all that and together so that that it's uh, you know an effective, um, powerful kind of source of, of change is, is what we're all aiming to do eventually. And I think we gotta um, you know uh, take away at that over time, basically. Um, and it doesn't happen overnight. So awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the success that you've had so far. Um, you know, you guys have definitely hit the Baltimore scene and seem to be having a really no pun intended great impact um, <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that I that I that I really love so much like I'm I really love that that Jermaine ended up in this role because I remember our conversation at creative mornings you know like I guess it's pretty close to two years ago now it'll be two years this fall and like talking to you and you had you were like a fairly recent grad at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you were kind of just trying to figure it out. And you had like all these, you had like your traditional, like, would you 
just gone through school and had your talents at, and then you had kind of like the Baltimore side and the social side of what you wanted to do, and and you were like trying to get to trying to figure out what that was gonna be, and I think that you were I think you were saying that like I'm trying to figure out like how all of these pieces come together, and it's been cool to watch uh, to watch this thing like be kind of realized because it seems like a very um, like a very accommodating opportunity for you to figure out where all those talents that you have and those passions that you have kind of come together and make a homogenized unit but also how they like have like a big like impact in, inside of Baltimore and giving you this opportunity to really like use your passion to to do what you want to do and to really like do something here so I just wanted to say that because I think about that all the time. I'm yeah, like, that's awesome. Uh, I want to say that, you know, like, this is a, a great opportunity, but going forward, people have to hire black people. Like, they cannot just have, you know, the discounted wages of being a fellow or an intern. Like, that's part of the problem in Baltimore is that, like, in the arts, you never rise above the fellow or the intern. You jump from one internship and fellowship to the next. Um, if you recognize the talent in the you know the the good in people you have to hire people of color like that's a huge part of like ending all these disparities um is that you know people hire experts who have tons of years of field experience instead of like people who actually live this life um because of nepotism because of you know friendships uh it, it that's a huge part of what is causing um some of this 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 uh the dysfunction in Baltimore. So uh, I appreciate that, um, and I hope that you know, you know, me being in this position opens up others, people's eyes, so they can actually you know hire other people of color. Yeah, something I um, talk about a lot when diversity comes up and in conversations around social innovation or startups is, it's not um, it's not just for the like ethical feel good reasons because if you're not if you're not including a lot of perspectives, you're leaving something on the table. Like you're missing opportunities, you're missing ideas, um, and that like you're missing talents. Um, and I think the you're feeling, more feeling forty yeah. percent of the team. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. You know, how can you win when you leave sixty percent of the talent on the yeah. bench? Like, yeah, and I, I think mean, I think the whole startup world is kind of coming to that realization that like if it's only if people only look a certain way or only have a certain lived experience. You're only going to get a certain set of ideas coming out of the world, right. um, and like, if you get more moms as entrepreneurs, if you get more like established older people, if you get people of color that like come from communities that are like challenged and like know those challenges super intimately, or like have worked in the public school system, or have been through the prison system. And one of our most amazing members is uh, Mission Launch, and they, um, one of the co-founders, the um, was in the prison system for a couple of years, and um, she just brings insights that no one else can bring. You know, she her daughter is her co-founder, and um, and Lauren is checking in with Teresa Hodge all the time about like whether an idea makes sense because Teresa knows because she's looked at. And um, I always, I think about them, but they're not the only people who are just bringing like an, an immense amount of richness um, into the work that they're doing, and like I think um, Baltimore like entire social sector could be stronger if it were better at um, making sure that 
people aren't just listening to or like sort of going out and extracting information from communities about what's going on, but are actually creating platforms for, for those leaders to, um, to get what they need to solve the problems themselves. And Chris Wilson is another amazing example of this. Like he, he knows intimately what he needs to set up to respond to the problem that he's addressing. So he's, you know, he's hiring people that have um, criminal records or sometimes just need a job. And um, he knows how to, how to make that pitch. He knows how to run those companies. He, and he knows how to like, tell his own story to get people behind what he's doing. And I mean, Chris's Facebook is like, he does not he does an <laughs> exceptional job of, uh, I mean, and that's like critical, right? Like demonstrative stuff out there where people can read it in this like very, like ticker tape newsfeed way. And it's not like, I think a lot of problem that, that happens is like the grandiose talk, right? And it's not talk around like, like the actual real fundamentals of how this thing hits practicality. and. I think that he does an incredible job of doing that. I mean, I'm always like clicking through to his feed because I know that I'm getting algorithm to miss like 70% of it. And I'm looking at it because they're just like, like you can see him grappling with trying to find a solution to a problem when he's trying to like, where he thinks he's almost one with a person and then like something goes awry. but when he's kind of like verbally going through all of that stuff, what he's doing is he's really like almost bullet pointing out like what his process is to find a solution to these like problems as they like organically turn up in the thing that he's trying to do. And you know, like that's more valuable than anything, right? When, when somebody says like, oh, we do it like this and they gloss over it, you're like, great, but like actually like, how do you really do it? Like, I mean like walk me through it. Like I'm the type of person that like, Walk me through it does so much more to me than like the high type stuff because when when I can really understand exactly what you're doing, then all of a sudden it's like very transactional and you get what part of it was effective as opposed to like knowing that there was something that happened in there that was effective. Mm-hmm. I one thing that I think is interesting when talking about Jess and even or sorry Chris and like Jess Gardner and. Uh, and more recently, with the work that Jermaine does really well with people like Shannon and Chef Heather, I, you know, looking way back, like in our work, we have the benefit of watching people grow over time. And because of the nature of doing events and, and creating these kind of flexible spaces that, that kind of bring people through at all different levels, um, we often see people before, you know, when they're just getting started. So I, mean, I, I remember meeting Chris right when he moved to. to from DC to Baltimore. Um, I mean, that was, gosh, this is like four or five years ago now. Uh, people like Jess uh, came to uh, Sochamp Breakfast back in the day and, and made important connections there. And we can't claim responsibility for all of their success, but we wanna continue to keep creating those conditions for that to happen and for it to happen for more people. Um, and. Uh, you know, and, and all of our work. Now we have a, a physical space that we're managing, but that, that physical space is just another expression of like creating that platform for people to, to come together and get the exposure they need. And 
and I think uh, we're we're always kind of working with that in the back of our mind, and it's it's great to see you know people um, succeed over time. We just want to see more of it, <laughs> more and more and more. Yeah, and yeah I, like I have a lot of lot of soapboxes that I'll bring into a room, and one <laughs> one of them is around like what innovation really even means. Um, and I think it, it often gets defined really narrowly as tech. I think tech is a tool, an important tool, but it's like not innovation itself. Um, and for me, you know, the strength of an innovation is around the original insight. It's like, that. what is the idea behind this? And like, where did that idea come from? And the stronger that is, the, the more potential that thing has. Um, and so I think like what people like Chris and um, Lauren and Teresa and like in, in many ways like Jermaine's work within Impact Hub and all the people he's bringing in is like they're, they're bringing an insight that's, that's either been missing or you know um, hasn't been elevated enough um, to the work that they're doing and like from that insight if they get what they need like they're gonna take off that idea is gonna have traction um, a really like super small example of this there was a, a group of um, homeschooled kids coming through our space of um, a group called inspiration factory um, and this one little guy was like eight years old and he walked by, we were doing a whole tour of the whole building and he walked by the um, vending machine and he goes, I wish this worked the way it does in my dreams. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like how, what, how does it work in your dreams? And, and I, um, like I, I, I hope that he gets the doors open that he needs to like make the best damn vending machine we've ever seen. Did he tell you? Yeah, I had like drawers and it popped out. It seemed cool. It seemed cool. <laughs> and like, um, and and I just think there's probably you know there's hundreds of thousands of those kids in Baltimore that like seen something, have some idea. It's not even necessarily about like social change. It could be about vending machines. But like, yeah. he needs to make sure that he gets like the education and the resources, the people around him that can. Yeah. They can make sure that that happens in the world, that that exists in the world. Yeah, I feel like technology is like a really wonderful thing, but I, I really worry that it's selling short a lot of opportunities that are there to, to, to be like, oh, well, like, we're going to make a coding camp and now you can learn to code. But the place where I'm curious, and this is like a very, like, not self-serving, but it's a self-realized thing. And it's that, you know, like, I, I grew up making music, right? Like, I... Uh, I'm a musician, like I'm a producer of music. That's why I spent all of my 20s after work. I didn't go to the bars, like I went home and I just like got in my studio and did my thing. And I was great at that. But what I wasn't great at doing was finding access to the market for like the things that I created. And so for me, I think about all the time, uh, I think about the kids that make music in our city that do it on like a busted old computer because you can make amazing music on a busted old computer, right? And and I think so much about how innovative that music is. I don't need to say probably is. Like I know that there are producers probably in our city and, and, and kids that are making music that is incredibly innovative. And I know that if a lot of the, the music reps around the world, if they could hear it, that they would buy that music, right? Because that's the way that it works. And a part of me is really interested in just figuring out how you reach in and you find, and it doesn't have to be music, that's just my very specific like analogy because that's what I was good at and couldn't get access to, but like how you find the people that have these baked in skills that they're not only exceptional at, but they have a very proprietary version of it that they've created based off of their experience and they're interested in something and 
helping them get that thing to market without needing to make them jump through hoops to saying like, well, if you, if you like, if you want a, like a, a new market job, like we could train you to do this or train you to do that. Whereas I love the idea of the innovation that says like, I just want to help you get the, the recognition that you deserve for what you're already great at. And I'm really like, I'm curious about that. Like I'm curious about like, how do we provide avenues that tap into just like attention for stuff that, that people are just already great at? You well, know? I think it boils down to like, um, when I met with, I think the reason that I'm here is because of my <laughs> candid nature. Um, uh, when I met with these guys, I was like, I don't know what a social entrepreneur is. I don't know. Like, um, I said the same thing to you. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's it's changing or, you know, like, I mean, I know you have to use it because it's like, if you don't call bread, bread, it's not bread, right? Um, so I know you have to use these terms, um, but it's like, how do you, it's like what you said earlier about like becoming, a, you know, getting into startup soiree, like you have to like lessen all the language and all the ideas of what is, you know, the norm. Um, and once people realize that like, like, I mean, I do a lot of amazing work for my apartment and, you know, sweatpants. Um, and no one's the wiser, right? Um, I think once people realize that like, you know, everyone in our space is in like jeans and a t-shirt. I think once people realize like you don't have to have on uh, a three-piece suit, the respectability politics, all these things that comes along with that, they have to die because they don't make sense. Um, they only uh, pro- inhibit, inhibit people from doing what they are actually have the God-given talent to do. Um, that speaks to, you know, privilege, that speaks to like race, it speaks to sex, all these different things, like, you know, people cannot put boundaries on what they think anymore, like, women can do amazing things, black people can do amazing things, like, and it's sad that we're even really having that conversation still in 2016, like, it's it's mind-blowing, actually. It's fabricasting. One of the other things that, like, and I, we knew this going in, but I think it just becomes, like, more and more clear every day, and it's simple, is, like, you have to know each other to help each other. Um, and I think the way that like a lot of privilege networks operate is is that it's like it's personal connections to people that can open this and that door and um, the the bigger we grow that family like the bigger we grow that kind of net of of um, of capturing all those like awesome like people and ideas and things that are out there the more we can actually help each other like that we can say like oh Shannon does amazing pictures like you should buy one and you should also probably ask her to like shoot photos for this next project that you've got going on and then like when if Shannon meets 10 people and then they meet 10 people like that's kind of it's it's simple but I think it's actually how a lot of um, change is going to happen is by helping each other and like opening those doors particularly like really intentionally opening doors to people that don't look like you or don't have the same background as you um, helps and uh, not nece- like not in a savior way not in like a, I did this to feel good way but like I did this because um, I know that this person is going to do amazing things in the world uh, I think is a model that like needs to spread and like if you if you envision every single person like just being like what do I have to offer in this town and like making sure that that's um, 
you know, accessible to people, like we could, we could make some shifts. And it doesn't have to be called social entrepreneurship. I mean, it's just great ideas um, and great people. That's my awesome. soapbox. <laughs> before we um, before we wrap up, uh, you guys should let us know good places for people to follow along. Keep uh, keep abreast of the events that are happening at Impact Hub. Uh, maybe a good way to get in touch, and then also like, who are the ideal like who should be coming and getting involved in like the, the Impact Hub ecosystem? Everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but press can speak more intelligently to that, I'm sure. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone, anybody that is thinking about some idea they've always been wanting to work on, um, anybody that's interested in being uh, part of a, you know, a really kind of conscious social approach to problems um, and, and a collective approach to things, I think is, is the type of people we want to be around and uh, tend to be attracted to, to our community. Um, in terms of, you know, how to actually get in touch and um, figure things out, it, our website is baltimore.impacthub.net. Um, there's lots of good information on there about uh, hosting events um, uh, and also membership. You can actually sign up directly on the website, and there's also a, a host an event form uh, for inquiries. Um, in terms of our, our social media, that we have uh, Instagram. I, what can you go over those real quick? So Instagram <laughs> is uh, Impact Hub underscore Baltimore, um, and Facebook is Impact Hub Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, and. You don't have to be an individual or organiza- a small organization to be there. Um, you can also be a big place that needs a you know, meeting space or event space. Um, and yeah, we're also open to working with anybody in town that uh, wants to be moving the city forward. Cool. Guys, thank you all for traveling out to the wilds of Moyle <laughs> Park. I'm glad we could bring you home a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, on behalf of everybody listening and uh, everybody in Baltimore, Thanks. Y'all are doing an amazing job, and the city's a much better place for what, what you're putting your effort towards. Oh, thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. All right, guys, that's it. I would encourage all of you um, to definitely make sure that you go to the website and get on to the email list. Um, it's a great way to stay abreast of all the events. There are, there are literally tons of events every single month. <laughs> Um, and they're always really, really great. They're always uh, guaranteed to really be worth your time um, to go to. You'll meet a ton of really incredible people. Um, you'll probably meet some of these folks here as well when you show up to those events. So, um, yeah, hit the website. Be a subscriber to their list. Uh, aside from that, if you haven't yet, make sure that you hit the subscribe button to this podcast, whether you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud Uh, Or if you're listening from your cubicle at your desk, you can subscribe and follow along via YouTube. We load them here. If you have a few spare moments, uh, if you can head over to the iTunes store and leave us a quick review, it would be tremendously appreciated. That's how those guys decide how often they suggest this podcast to other human beings. And the more of those we have listening, the more we get a chance to scale the stories and the great stuff that's happening in our city out to the rest of the world and let them know how great of a place Baltimore is. Uh, Aside from that, that's all I got. Um, Until next time, keep taking care of each other. Peace.